May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. She was six weeks old when a poorly trained doctor applied a mustard plaster poultice to her eyes, which rendered her totally and completely blind. She knew knew no different being so young, but yet she did know different. And even in her childhood, she realized that she had a special gift. She often said, I have a jewel, content. When only nine years of age, she wrote these words, Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. And she would go on to be married, and she would even experience the pain of losing her child. As she said about her personal life, I became a mother and knew a mother's love. But the angels came down and took our infant to God. One day in 1873, Fanny Crosby, known as Aunt Fanny, was visiting with a friend, Mrs. Joseph Knapp. And during their visit, Mrs. Knapp played a tune on her piano, which she had recently written. And then she asked Fanny, what does this tune say? And after kneeling in prayer for a few moments, she rose and declared and said, it says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Aunt Fanny began to dictate verses to Mrs. Knapp, who wrote them down, fitting them to the melody that we just sang moments ago. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Even in the midst of her lifelong handicap, in the ups and downs, even of losing an infant child, Fanny Crosby found her hope and her comfort in God and who she was in God's eyes, his own child. And in her lifetime, Fanny Crosby would write over 8,000 gospel hymns. And this reminded me of another similar type story. The story is told of a boy who grew up with a handicap. He wasn't born that way, though. He had been born without any disabilities. But as a young boy, at the age of five, he was dropped. And it caused problems in his legs that would last a lifetime. This in and of itself is tragic, but it's not the real tragedy. The real tragedy is why he was dropped. You see, at a very dangerous time, both his grandfather and his father were killed. And in such a fright, the person caring for the boy tried to run away. But in doing it so swiftly, she had dropped him. And the five-year-old didn't die that day, though. However, his life would be a changed one. He lost his grandfather, he lost his father, and he would live a life burdened with a permanent handicap. Furthermore, he was virtually orphaned, forced to grow up in a home that wasn't his, with a people who were not his own family. At one point, he even described himself as dead as a dog. It might heighten the story even more to know that this child was from a different time, a different place. In addition, the boy was royalty, for his grandfather was a king. 
Now, some of you may remember a part of this story when I preached through some different biblical characters a few summers ago. The boy's name was Mephibosheth. And he was the son of Jonathan, the son of King Saul, the first king of Israel. In the opening chapters of 2 Samuel tell his story. King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle, along with the other brothers of Jonathan. And in fear, the nurse caring for the young Mephibosheth fled away quickly. And during that process, she dropped him and made him lame, as the scriptures say, in both legs. And we aren't left without the rest of his story, though. Mephibosheth did grow up, and he even had a son. But it was in a land that wasn't his, with a family, again, that wasn't his. It wasn't the life of a royal's son. The name of the town in which he was hidden and in which he grew up was Lodabar, which means a place of no pasture, which is exactly what his life was like. As I said, he even referred to himself as a dead dog. However, the story does change. Years later, King David asked if there were any relatives left of Saul to whom he could show God's kindness. And when Mephibosheth's name was mentioned, the king had compassion And he remembered the covenant and the relationship that he had with Jonathan. And so he brought Mephibosheth back to Jerusalem. And permit me to read to you 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 7 through 13. So David said to him, meaning Mephibosheth, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, And ye shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. And Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Now, what must that have meant for Mephibosheth when David did that for him? And how his life must have changed? It's a story of compassion. It's a a story of restoration. It's a story of grace. And while the story was not a part of our appointed text in the lectionary today, the story of Mephibosheth and the manner in which David treated him are a wonderful example of what St. Paul says in our epistle lesson for today. We read today from Romans chapter 8, and therein St. Paul says this, But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. 
The story of Mephibosheth, the lame boy, the dead dog, who wasn't even worthy of servanthood in the kingdom of David, became like one of the king's sons. And he ate at the king's table, all for the sake of Jonathan and his relationship with David. And Paul tells us that we who were once dead in our sins have been adopted and made children of God with all the inheritance of a child. In a very real sense, Mephibosheth is a picture of each of the redeemed, of us, ones who have received the compassion of God and have been restored all for the sake of Jesus Christ. As David chose to be as a father to Mephibosheth, so God has chosen to be a father to us. And this is a common theme in Scripture. And it's one that is much more tangible and real than some other theoretical or distant-like ones. Our most intimate expression of relationship is that of family. And I think we know that no bond is stronger in our hearts than that of a, of a parent to a child. St. Paul, at another point in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, quotes the Old Testament, and he expresses this intimacy in this way. He says, what God said, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Next week, we'll be doing morning prayer on the fifth Sunday of the month. But if we read that gospel lesson appointed for next Sunday, we would hear the parable Jesus tells us of the prodigal son. The son who desperately wanted to leave the family home, but who in time and in need humbly returns to a rejoicing father. And this principle rests at the foundation of how we approach God in its simplest way. God, although he be wholly other than we are, although he's due all honor and majesty and glory beyond all other, he is also Abba, Father. And it's because of this familial relationship that Paul can say later in the same chapter, all things work together for the good of those that love God. And again, I know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The reason Paul can say those things is because of his understanding of God as a father who cares for his children, who looks out for his children, who loves his children. J.I. Packer, a well-known author and Anglican theological scholar, wrote in his book, Knowing God, these words. To those who are Christ's, the holy God is a living father. They belong to his family. They may approach him without fear and always be assured of his fatherly concern and care. This is the heart of the New Testament message. End quote. Beloved, we can easily go through life with different images of who God is. We can read the pages of Holy Writ and conjure up different ideas and different conceptions and different aspects, all of which could and would be true. But friends, the most comforting and most meaningful is that which Jesus says when he teaches us and his disciples to pray intimately, Our Father. As David was to Mephibosheth, so God is to us. And he brings us into his house, like Mephibosheth was brought into David's, to come and dine at his table. He as our father, and we as his children. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.